0: Chapter 17 of My Actor Husband This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Emily Maynard My Actor Husband by Anonymous Chapter 17 Coming out of the stage door after the performance one night shortly after the new year, the back keeper met me with the information that a gentleman was waiting to see me before i could frame a reply a bulky figure emerged from the gloom i recognized mr f of chicago there was something akin to embarrassment in the way he preferred his hand though his grip was not lacking in geniality of the two i was the more self-possessed to my polite inquiries about his family he murmured something about their being all right he guessed and abruptly changed the subject by asking me to quote come jump in a taxi and let's go somewhere for a bite of supper I did not understand why I so readily acquiesced. On the way to Rector's, he himself having made the choice of restaurant, we exchanged amenities. I believe I deplored the fact that I was not dressed for the occasion, and he had replied with a flattering speech intended to salve my vanity. After he had ordered the most expensive items on the menu, he settled back in his chair, toyed with his fork, looked at me searchingly, then broke out laughing the laughter was not pleasant to the ear it left an unpleasant apprehension he leaned across the table with a confidential air and smiled quizzically do you remember the last time we had supper together i nodded and coaxed a smile perfectly i responded a silence while mr f traced strange hieroglyphics on the napery after a while he tossed aside the fork with the air of one casting off unpleasant memories "'and settled back in his chair. "'Tell me about yourself,' he commanded. "'How is the world using you? "'What in the name of wonder ever took you on the comic opera stage? "'I couldn't believe my own eyes when I spotted you tonight, "'and of course the name on the program meant nothing to me. "'I shook my friends as soon as the performance was over "'and interviewed the backdoor keeper. "'He told me you were Mrs. Hartley in private life. "'Well, what's the answer?' "'There's nothing mysterious about my present occupation.' mr hartley hasn't been especially lucky this season and when a chance to help out a bit presented itself i took it that's all i presume you know that we lost our boy yes yes i knew of course his tone was curt but i understood his reluctance to dwell upon the subject the return of the waiter ended a painful silence after that mr f kept up a running fire of gossip and questions about stage life but beneath the surface i sensed and lent him tacit aid in his effort to steer clear of the topic i knew to be uppermost in his mind from time to time rumours of a fresh rupture with his wife had reached me in fact it was will who acquainted me with the news of their final estrangement he confided the details of the lady's latest excursion into the realm of the illicit with a sententious air of there didn't i predict what would happen and a shrug of the shoulders i am not sure that it was not will's intent to sympathize with himself as a victim of the circumstances over which he had no control indeed the occasional bursts of confidences which he thrust upon me and in which he discussed quite frankly the indiscretions of certain lion-hunting ladies were made i felt with the hope of impressing upon me the pitfalls with which a man in his profession is surrounded Or was it vanity, or a desire to fan the old flame of passion he once had aroused, a passion which, if the paraphrase is pardonable, was now, quote, tame and weighted on judgment? In some way, I am not sure how it came about, since made conversation is at best disjointed and lacks in sequence, a random remark inspired a challenge from Mr. F., who offered to lay a bet that I was in the wrong. "'Oh, no,' I had replied, "'I don't want you to lose. "'Besides, you do not pay your gambling debts promptly. "'Do you know you never sent me that box of candy "'I won from you in Cincinnati?' "'Mr. F., you're not a good sport.' "'With a shock I realized I was in shallow waters. "'He looked at me with his eyes narrowed to mere slits. "'Well, little woman, I can't say that of you, can I? "'I can't say that you're not a good sport, "'after that performance in Cincinnati.' I flushed, but made a heroic effort to control my voice. "'I don't think I follow you.' Mr. F. beat up the bubbles in his glass and watched them come to the surface before he answered. "'Of course you've heard about her latest affair with that Italian opera singer. Well, I caught her with the goods this time. For the sake of the children, I'm letting her get the divorce.' He left off frowning and contemplated me with an amused smile. "'Say, little woman, you did put it all over me there in Cincinnati, didn't you?' "'I suppose you're wondering now how I got wise to it. "'Well, I wrung the confession out of her. "'I wouldn't let her get the divorce until she told me the truth, "'and then I checked it up through her sister, who's a pretty good sort. "'All my life I've had deep-rooted respect for a game sport. "'When I look at that pretty little face of yours "'and think of the job you cooked up at a moment's notice, "'well, I take my hat off to you, that's all. "'Look here, little woman.' if anything ever goes wrong between you and handsome Bill, and by gad, I thought it had when I saw you on the stage tonight, if you ever need a friend, just tap the wires. There's my club address, and little lady, don't be afraid that I'll ask anything in return. Do you follow me? I'm not any better than the rest of my kind, but I think I know the real thing when I meet it. While donning my wraps in the cloak-room some time later, I was surprised to see my little friend Lila enter and present her coat-check to the maid. She flushed a little in surprise as she greeted me. "'Why, Mrs. Hartley, I didn't know you were here. Where were you sitting? Why didn't you tell me you were coming?' "'I didn't know myself. I found an old acquaintance waiting, and of course he wanted to see where the soubrettes hang out. "'How funny! My coming was unexpected, too. I'll tell you all about it tomorrow she hurried away a little eagerly i thought as i passed out in response to a beckon from mr f i saw lila being helped into a handsome fur coat i told myself it was none of my business that Lila knew perfectly well what she was doing and that any amount of advice from me would not only be acted upon but would be resented already she avoided me to my pleadings that i was lonely would she not dine with me at my home she responded with ever-ready but piffling excuses and subterfuges i would see her emerge from her dressing-room after the performance prettily dress get into a waiting taxicab and be whirled away the situation preyed on my mind once i took courage in both hands and called her at her lodging-house only to be told that miss moore had moved away a month since i got the new address from the back-door keeper and when my little friend was out of the cast through illness, I seized the opportunity to call on her. It was one of those smaller apartment hotels in the West Forties. I was taken up in the elevator without challenge. The colored maid, who cautiously opened the door, said she did not know whether her mistress would see me. Something in my manner, however, caused her to stand aside and let me enter." the rooms were tastefully if cheaply furnished lila was lying on a couch propped with pillows and clad in a dainty silk kimono she was taken by surprise and flushed a little as she extended her hand the maid placed a chair for me i I thought you had forgotten me she stammered as i offered the flowers i had brought how good of you they're only seconds lila but the best i could afford and compared to the big american beauties reposing in a vase near at hand they certainly did look shop-worn it's a beastly day isn't it let me send for a cup of tea or maybe you'd like a highball i declined both the maid disappeared. lila squirmed about on her pillows i'm sorry to see you ill lila i ventured by way of breaking the ice oh i'm not really ill only a slight cold I'm a bit run down, and the uh, judge—that is, the doctor—thought I should rest for a while. I'm not going back to the theatre this season. It's awfully good of you to bother about me." "'Lila,' I said finally. "'Lila, is it worth it? Is what worth?' "'All this.' I indicated the apartment, the piano, the silk negligee, and the ring on her finger. "'Is it worth the price you're paying?' I asked gently. She lifted her shoulders. "'I don't know,' her tone was half-question, half-defiance. "'I do know that the other way wasn't worth the sacrifices, "'the scrimping and the mean pinching. "'I couldn't go on like that. I couldn't. "'I am young. I want some of the good things of life while I am still young. "'And I was lonely. I didn't fit into my environment.' "'I understand, Lila. "'Perhaps I appreciate the loneliness, the rebellion, better than you think.' you see other girls enjoying the good things of life and apparently happy but after all happiness is purely relative and what makes for their happiness might not make for yours lila dear girl couldn't you make up your mind to stick it out just a little while longer things were sure to come your way or perhaps you would meet the right man and marry and settle down in the little home of your own which you told me you have always craved the right kind of men don't marry chorus girls the exceptions are rare and what manner of men are they who do marry a girl out of the chorus old worn-out roues almost senile from the debauched lives they've led they crave something young and fresh as an elixir of life sometimes it's a young blood with money a black sheep of the family who drinks and sports and in the end there's divorce if nothing worse I COULDN'T MARRY A MAN LIKE EITHER OF THESE. IT'S A MISTAKE TO BE TOO FASTIDIOUS." IS... IS HE MARRIED? HE... OH, YES, HE'S MARRIED, IN A WAY. HIS WIFE AND HE HAVE NOT REALLY LIVED TOGETHER FOR YEARS. FOR THE SAKE OF THE FAMILY, THEY KEEP UP APPEARANCES. SHE DOESN'T UNDERSTAND HIM. DID HE TELL YOU THAT, AND YOU BELIEVE IT? BUT I KNOW IT'S TRUE. "'You'd believe it, too, if ever you were to see her. "'He married her when he was young and poor. "'I presume they loved each other then. "'She probably pinched and scrimped in those days to help him, "'to help him get where he is today. "'I don't know anything about that, of course, "'but I do know that I admire him. "'He has a wonderful mind. "'It's a privilege to be associated with a man like him. "'If you knew him, you would not think so badly of the the arrangement.' i left my chair to sit beside her on the couch dear girl i said slipping my hand in hers don't misunderstand me i am not sitting in judgment neither am i criticizing you but i want you to think of the future have you ever thought of the time when you will no longer be young have you never observed that type of woman one finds hanging around restaurants or hotel corridors hoping to pick up a man any man it doesn't matter what kind of man so long as he has a little money these women are getting along in years taking on flesh hiding the ravages of time and dissipation with rouge hair dyes and more dissipation they are fighting life and getting the worst of it having put into life only their worst thrown from one man's arms into another's down the line always downgrade lower and lower until until what remains the streets the workhouse or suicide have you thought of that no 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 and i don't want to think of it she pounded her fists vehemently together i'm tired of thinking of the future i've done nothing all my life but think and live in the future and now i'm going to get what there is all there is out of the present if it's only a pretty gown only a bright flower what incentive has a girl like me to be good go away go away please and don't bother about me as i walked up fifth avenue on my way home the shops and various dressmaking establishments were disgorging their workers pale girls for the most part poorly clad here and there, one prettier than the rest, showing in her dress the innate love of display, passing the well-dressed saunter along the way with a pert glance, an inviting eye, dreaming of the silks she had handled all day, longing for the comforts of life which money alone can buy. After all, is it a question of morals or economics which leads these girls astray? As my little friend had put it, what incentive have they to go straight? End of chapter 17